inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, it's been the deepest, darkest part of winter here in the Colorado mountains. But between the drought conditions and the freakishly warm weather we've been having, I've been able to ride outside a lot. So that's kind of a wintertime bonus. That's the silver lining, of course. I'd much rather see the snow and cold than the drought and all the ill effects that brings us. And I'm down to just riding one horse now, my little mare, Annie. I still have Dooley, my old gelding, the best horse I ever had, but he's fully retired now and he's just out there living the good life. So it's been fun to reconnect with Annie. I've had her for about 10 years now, but since I usually have younger and or greener horses to focus on, I don't really ride her as often. She gets exercised daily and groomed and all of that, but I tend to focus my attention on the greener horses. So now that I'm down to just Annie, I've been spending a lot more time with her. To be honest, I think she probably prefers being the backup horse rather than the primary horse. But I have to say she's a really awesome little horse and I've forgotten how much fun it is to ride finished horses. Annie, bless her heart, is round as a barrel. She's got very low withers. And on top of that, she's very small of stature but she's got a huge hip and she's athletic and quick footed. So she's capable of some really big moves. Consequently, to keep the saddle from slipping on her, you have to really crank the cinch down tight. And needless to say, over the years, her resentment to the cinch has grown. And lately she's been really cranky about saddling. So uh, this has been one of my main training focuses with her. And in fact, it's the subject of today's podcast. So I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. It's the start of a new year and I'm gearing up for a full travel schedule in 2022. Actually, this is the first time I will have had a full travel schedule since the pandemic began. I've got a full slate of horse expos coming up this spring. I'll be doing live presentations in Colorado, Oregon, Idaho, and Wisconsin. I'm really looking forward to meeting some of you at one of these events. I love to connect with my podcast listeners and hear what resonates with you. Later this year, I'm heading back to Ireland to lead a riding vacation with Connemara Equestrian Escapes. This is a small group experience with me as your coach and guide. You'll enjoy daily horsemanship clinics, plus we'll do cultural tours, and best of all, we'll all ride together on the wild Atlantic coast in the beautiful countryside of Ireland. I'm excited to be going back there this year. If you want to find out more about the Ireland trip or any of my horse expos or clinics and riding vacations, please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events. And while you're there, check out my online training resources, the curriculums we offer, and the personalized coaching programs. Plus, we've got some innovative grooming tools, tack bits, training equipment, and videos, all at shop 
www.juliegoodnight.com. Today's topic is about reprogramming a senshi horse. Now, that's a horse that's become emotionally reactive to the tightening of the cinch or girth when saddling and who may act out with dramatic behaviors, anywhere from biting to kicking or worse. I'll discuss what senshi behavior is, what causes the behaviors, and how to find solutions for a happier horse. First, let's talk about what is a senshi horse? What do we mean by that? That's the best term I know and the most frequently used term. But a senshi horse refers to emotional and or a behavioral reaction that a horse displays when you tighten the girth or the cinch of the saddle. And I'm going to use the terms cinch and girth sort of interchangeably. Um, Generally, in the Western saddle, we call it a cinch. In the English saddle, we call it a girth. You should also realize that the girth is a body part of the horse. So it's that very um, concave and sensitive area just behind the elbow of the horse where the cinch or girth tends to lay against the horse's side. And so it's a body part. It is a piece of tack, and it may be called cinch or girth. Also, we often use the term heart girth, and that generally refers to the area of the horse or how big or how deep uh, he is around the chest area um, around his girth. So that's a little bit about terminology, cinch versus girth, um, the body part of the horse, the girth, and then uh, heart girth being a reference to the horse. So let's talk about what cinchy behavior looks like in the horse. And uh, generally, as I said, it occurs in the act of saddling, in particular, when you go to tighten the girth. And you might see reactions, anything from something really small, like the horse just flicking its ears back or pinning its ears, or maybe making a grimace with its nostrils and mouth. Or you may see larger behaviors like the horse bracing in the back, um, exposing his teeth, threatening to bite, even biting itself. Um, There's a behavior called snaking where the horse sort of whips his nose around and uh, as if he's going to uh, shove you with his nose. Um, And then it can get as big as the horse getting mad, stomping his feet, kicking out, cow kicking. Um, Sometimes they'll back up or actually pull back in panic if they're tied. So it can be any of these behaviors, all of the above. Um, It can be something, a very small reaction to a huge dramatic reaction that we tend to refer to as senshi behavior. And that's what we're talking about here today. So sentiness is essentially a, a horse just expressing its emotions. Now, what are the emotions it's expressing? Um, sometimes it's resentment. Sometimes it's fear, a fear of being hurt by the girth. Um, sometimes it's just simple discomfort. They don't like the feel of um, having that constriction on their back. And sometimes you'll actually see an angry um, reaction from the horse. But all of that behavior I just described a second ago was was essentially a horse expressing its emotion in the moment. 
So what type of horses do we commonly see this in? First of all, I, I would say it's it's pretty common behavior in riding horses of all types. Any horse you're tightening um, around the girth is is could potentially become senshi or start displaying reactive or resentful behavior. It has no reflection on the horse's temperament or training level. It might be um, a kind, sweet, gentle beginner's horse. It could be a uh, fancy pampered show horse. It could be anything, any breed, any age it can occur in. So it's definitely not a reflection of poor training or um, it could it could be a reflection of poor handling and we'll get to that in a minute. But it does not mean a horse is untrained. In other words, you could have an otherwise 100% perfect stellar push button, you know, ideal horse that develops sensory behavior as just sort of a, a separate little side thing. So we we can't classify the horses in that way, just say it's one that needs more training. Basically, any horse whose saddle is prone to slipping easily or whose occupation makes saddle slipping absolutely intolerable or dangerous is prone to developing sensory behavior. It is often seen in horses that are mutton-withered, and that's what we call a horse that has um, very is very flat at the withers that does not have the spinous processes that uh, most horses developed. Um, the, you know, the prominence of the withers is what helps hold the saddle in place and what helps keep it from slipping. Uh, those of us that have had horses with huge, shark fin withers um, know that you could just about ride that horse in a saddle without a girth or cinch because the withers are going to keep the saddle from slipping. And so the opposite is true of a horse with very low um, or what we call mutton withers where you can't even see the withers um, above the shoulders essentially. And that just has less um, traction, so to speak, for the saddle to keep it from slipping side to side. We often see sensory behavior develop in horses that are used um, as working horses, whether that be a dude horse used for trail riding, a lesson horse that's a school horse that's used in a lesson program, um, a camp program. We see it a lot in ranch horses and rope horses. Uh, the ho horses that are working cattle and and doing hard jobs like that. And generally, with all of these types of horses, these working horses, generally, uh, if a horse develops cinchiness, it's just simply from having the cinch so tight for so long a period of time uh, because the ramifications of having a loose cinch are so great. You, you know, you've got a precious child up on that beginner school horse, or you've got an inexperienced rider on a dude horse, or you're, you know, out in the middle of the pasture roping a bull, and the last thing you want is your saddle to slip off. So there's a lot of uh, times where um, horses are prone to over-tightening of the cinch, just sort of as a side effect of their job. 
Also, we often see senshi behavior develop in sensitive horses, horses that um, are thin, thinner skinned, uh, more sensitive to pressure of all kind. Uh, often we refer to these as hot-blooded horses. And these horses just tend to, f to feel everything more. So uh, they can easily become resentful to the cinch or if there's any uh, minor saddle fitting problems, you'll, you'll see these horses um, often be more demonstrative in their behavior um, than a less sensitive, colder-blooded horse might be. So those are the types of horses that we often see cinchy behavior develop in. So let's get a little bit more specific then on what the causes of cinchy behavior are. And, and there can be more than one. And, um, you know, basically the causes are going to fall down into two camps. One is physical and the other is handling. So let's talk about the physical first. Of course, always, anytime a horse is acting in an undesirable way, anytime they're reactive, aggressive, um, any unusual behavior like that, we always first have to rule out any kind of physical pain, any kind of medical issue or physical issue the horse might be having. It is, um, by and large, the cause of undesirable behavior in horses, particularly when we're talking about trained riding horses that otherwise um, act well and appropriate. Um, so when it comes to senshi behavior, we have to rule out physical pain just like any other undesirable behavior. And there are certain things that um, senshi behavior can easily um, be caused by. And one is gastric ulcers. We now know that many, if not most, horses have ulcers or are prone to ulcers. We now know that the causes of ulcers are far more um, extreme or far more prevalent than we ever thought they were. For instance, um, just small changes in herd dynamics. One horse comes, one horse leaves, whatever. Um, small changes in herd dynamics can often stimulate ulcers in a horse that's prone to them. So if I have a really, you know, a great well-trained horse that's never been senshi before, all of a sudden develops senshi behavior, um, that would be one of the first areas I would look to. Is this horse, is he sensitive about being touched all over? Is he cranky? Are there other um, small indicators that might be pointing towards ulcers? Um, you know, one easy thing you can do to rule that out is to simply treat the horse for ulcers. You know, obviously you want to consult your vet on that. But we, uh, we keep a supply of ulcer medication on board. You know, you can buy it over the counter, um, just like you can go to the store and buy Prilosec for yourself. And um, so I know how, I know I have certain horses that are prone to ulcers, and I know how common it is. So it's something that we um, treat for a lot if we have even a suspicion of it. So it's something you want to definitely ask your vet about. Also, 
chiropractic issues, um, injuries to the musculoskeletal system of the horse up in the back and rib cage and hips and all that could be a cause of um, new sensory behavior. And certainly arthritic conditions of the back, such as kissing spine, could be a cause of sensory behavior. So there's uh, those are at least three fairly common uh, physical causes for this kind of behavior. So obviously you're going to need a vet to do a thorough exam of the horse um, to listen to your description of the symptoms that you're concerned about. The vet will want to palpate the back of the horse, will probably want to look at gastric issues, will want to look at other joint issues, uh, you know, in other words, look at the whole horse uh, before uh, we can rule out uh, whether or not there is a physical cause. By the way, when we talk about sensory behavior being anything from the horse just flicking his ears back and, you know, snarling his lips a little bit to actually blowing up and pulling back and, you know, turning over and or kicking out, um, it's important to distinguish between a daily chronic sort of habitual way of acting versus a sudden um, a sudden dramatic reaction that is not usually predictable. In other words, I've had horses that, you know, nine out of 10 times that I saddle them, they were fine, never had any kind of reaction. And then the 10th time you saddle them and it may not even be while you're tightening the cinch, but they move a certain way or uh, a few seconds goes by and all of a sudden that horse blows up big and pulls back and rears up, turns over, that kind of stuff. That's almost certainly a physical problem in the horse. The, the more common sensory behavior in horses, um, the pin in the ears back and threatening to nip or bite, those are chronic things that happen every single day when you go to saddle the horse, not just uh, an occasional thing that, that's uh, super dramatic. So it's important to distinguish the types of behaviors that really direct your thinking towards a physical or medical problem. Um, and that's the reason why, if you're unsure, we always go to the vet first to rule out a physical cause uh, before we go to any kind of training solution. But often, sensory behavior is actually human-caused and primarily from over-tightening the girth or cinch. It could also be in reaction to ill-fitted tack. And guess what? It can also be a reaction to improper saddle placement. So often we find that what some people think of as an ill-fitting saddle is actually improper saddle placement on the horse. And uh, we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Now, some horses are naturally cinchy. And I would say, I, you know, back in my younger days when I was starting a lot of colts under saddle, a lot of young horses, a lot of baby horses, 
I I guesstimated that about one out of every five horses would be naturally cinchy. In other words, the very first time I would fasten a girth around them, um, maybe one in five horses would react to it. Most of them were like, yeah, huh, whatever. So the good news there is those horses that are naturally sensitive to the tightening of the girth are usually very easily desensitized to it. And just after a few times, it's no longer an issue. It's one reason why I always prefer to use a surcingle on a horse that's never been saddled before I saddle it. And a surcingle is basically just a strap that goes around the girth of the horse. So it's, it's very much like a girth on the bottom but then it has a strap that goes up over the back of the horse. And it allows you to tighten around the girth, have a strap that's tightening around the girth without all of the um, excess pressure that a saddle would actually put on the horse's back, without all of the confinement that a treed saddle puts on a horse's back for the first time. I use the surcingle on young horses that have never been saddled first because I want to know if they're going to be naturally cinchy. If they're not and there's zero reaction to the sense, I tend to just move right on to the saddle. If they are reactive to the surcingle, then I'm going to spend a little more time desensitizing that horse at that step. So I've got lots of resources online available to you on that subject, in particular on first time for saddling a horse and um, all of that. So be sure to check that out at juliegoodnight.com. Probably one of the most common ways that humans cause cinchy behavior in horses is just from over-tightening the girth of the cinch. This could be a one-time event. I remember I had a, one of the greatest horses I ever had was a Morgan mare by the name of Pepsi, she was an exceptional horse and she was uh, really good at everything she did. And she was a, like a lot of Morgans. She was a hardworking, going kind of horse. She was very alpha by nature, but she was always perfectly well behaved, um, like it was a point of pride for her. And one day uh, someone else had been riding her. I, I did let other people ride her if they were um, good enough riders to handle her. And one day I looked out and she was tied at the hitching rail and um, the person that had ridden her the day before was getting ready to saddle her. And from my house, some 20, 30 yards away, I could see the hematoma at her girth area from having too tight a cinch the day before. I could, in other words, I could see the swelling in her girth. And as I watched them saddle, I saw cinchy behavior in this mare for the first time. I'd had her probably 20 years at that time and not, not once had she ever been cinchy. And all of a sudden she was. Well, it didn't you know, take a sleuth to figure out what had happened. She had simply been over-tightened and over-tightened to the point where it had actually caused her bruising in her girth area. And needless to say, 
the next day when that girth came back on, she didn't want any part of it. So that was senshi behavior caused from a one-time event in a horse that had never displayed it before. And it was simply over tightening. But a horse can also develop chronic resentment that builds over time from just day in and day out having its uh, girth really tight. Um, this is my mare Annie because an unfortunate part of her confirmation is that the saddle tends to slip very easily on her and you almost can't get the cinch tight enough for it not to slip. You have to just stay really centered on this horse. So what I've learned about Annie is her her senshi behavior is just resentment that has developed over time from having a tight growth on her her whole life. But also this behavior can develop simply by the procedure you use for tightening the girth on the horse. So when you throw a saddle up on a horse and immediately tighten the cinch as tight as you can get it, horses will often develop resentment over time. Um, that same horse, if you had put the saddle on, gently snugged up the girth, give it a few minutes, snug it up a little bit more, um, don't tighten the girth until the rider's ready to mount and not over tighten the girth at any time. You know, often we, we tell riding instructors, make sure you check cinches before you ask the students to canter. And, but that doesn't mean tighten them every time. And so sometimes people confuse checking the girth with tightening the girth. And so you need to have sensitivity to how tight is, is tight enough on this particular horse and on uh, horses in general. So part of that is just poor handling technique, being um, insensitive to the needs of the horse. Um, all of that is entirely preventable, of course, if we just take a little bit more time and have a little bit more empathy for the horse. One important issue for not developing sensory behavior in the horse is knowing how tight the cinch should actually be or how tight do you need to make your girth. And this is going to entirely depend on the conformation of the horse. It will somewhat depend also on the type of riding activity you're going to do with your horse. But if your horse is configured conformationally with prominent withers and the saddle sits down on his back really well and is not at all prone to slipping, that horse is not going to need as tight a cinch or girth as a horse that's built like my little Annie that's round as a barrel and has no withers. So you need to consider that, but you also need to consider that obviously we want a cinch to be tight enough for the saddle not to slip. We know that as a horse warms up, the girth or the cinch, the saddle in general tends to become a little bit looser. So we often have to tighten the cinch once or twice during our riding session. But what's important is that you always check the tightness of the cinch or girth and that doesn't mean the same as always tightening it. So if you have a horse that holds the saddle well, it's not going to have to have as tight a girth as a, as a rounder, lower withered horse. And you need to develop sensitivity to what is the right amount of tightness for that horse. So 
just because tight is good doesn't mean tighter is better. And there's a point at which too tight a cinch causes just as many problems as too loose a cinch. So the rider just needs to learn to be more discerning of that individual horse, what the activities are, and how tight does that cinch need to be. Now, another thing I often hear people say is, well, I always tighten the girth to the you know third hole from the top or whatever. I wouldn't rely so much on that exact same place every time. In, in English saddles, it's a little bit easier to do that than it is in a Western. But if you have thick padding or if the, if the placement of the saddle is just a little than the time before, or if the horse is, um, hadn't been ridden in a little while, he, maybe he's got a big fluffy hair coat that he picked up over the winter, or maybe he just finished gorging himself on hay. There are a lot of reasons why you might get a slightly different feel off a cinch. Maybe he's lost a little bit of weight. Uh, maybe he's gained a little bit of fitness. So don't go by, I always put it on this exact hole, but go by how tight it feels. And you want to check for that feel down below in the middle of the horse's chest where the girth or cinch crosses the sternum. That's where it's going to feel the tightest. If you check the tightness for the cinch up where it buckles or fastens to the saddle, it often will feel looser there because the horse is somewhat concave there. So check down below, right between the horse's leg from the back of the cinch or the back of the girth to get a true sense of how tight it actually is. No matter why or how the horse ended up getting over tightening, was it a one-time event or has happened its whole life or is it um, just the rough actions of the handler, um, cinchy behavior can easily and quickly become ingrained habitual behavior that can persist long after the horse has any reason to have resentment or any um, any physical pain or any issues that may have caused the behavior to begin with. Also, as I said earlier, your saddle fit and your saddle placement can play a role. Um, horses can develop cinchy behavior that is strictly just about the tightening of the cinch, but it can also be exacerbated by a poor saddle fit. So obviously, if the saddle does not fit your horse very well. Let's say it's putting a little pressure on top of his withers and you tighten the cinch enough or you tighten the cinch at all, it's pulling more pressure down onto his withers. So that's an example of where saddle fit could be exacerbating a cinchy problem. Also, if you are placing the saddle too far forward, and the front part of the tree is pressing down on his shoulder blades or the back of the saddle is pressing into its loins, obviously tightening the cinch more is going to make that more uncomfortable for the horse. So we can't rule out saddle fit and saddle placement as a part of the problem, but it doesn't necessarily have to be part of the problem. So in other words, a horse with cinchy behavior may have a perfectly fitted saddle. And it may be put in the perfect place on his back um, and be strictly about the tightening of the girth. So it's kind of any and all of these things could really be a factor. But one thing to keep in mind is that 
when a horse develops a reaction to the tightening of the cinch, this can easily morph into a pullback problem. In other words, if you go to tighten the cinch on a cinchy horse and he reacts by bowing up and uh, backing up just a little bit, he could hit the end of that lead rope and sometimes that panic sets in and he pulls back violently on the rope. Um, this can sometimes lead to the horse falling down. Um, it can certainly lead to tying problems where you end up with a horse that you can't reliably tie up to anything because he's going to uh, blow up and pull back. So we have to really treat these um, senshi behaviors seriously and delicately um, because it can also lead to fairly dangerous behavior, behavior that's dangerous to the person saddling the horse, um, which is always something to keep in mind. And so you remember before I mentioned that it is not a reflection on the temperament or training level of a horse if he becomes senshi. And consequently, often we have really gentle beginner horses that, let's say, uh, develop a habit of biting when you go to tighten the cinch. That can be dangerous to someone who doesn't know how to handle a horse like that. So we have to be careful, mitigate that by making sure a more experienced person is supervising or saddling the horse. So let's talk for a minute about solutions to this problem. And you can imagine that if a diagnosis of the problem is as complicated as everything I just mentioned, that the solutions might be complicated as well. But the first part of the solution is not so much. Obviously, you need a, a vet exam um, before you look to anything else. And that's something you're going to schedule with your veterinarian. It's going to include minimally a full exam and palpation of the back. And depending on the manual palpation of the back, the vet may want to x-ray the horse's back. And uh, by the way, this hasn't always been an option with horses, with particularly x-raying their spines because their spines are so huge and x-ray machines are so cumbersome. But today with portable digital x-rays, if you have access to a vet that treats a lot of horses, uh, particularly performance horses, they're probably going to have the means to x-ray the back of a horse. And obviously, this is what you're going to do to rule out any physical cause like kissing spine or chiropractic problems or a more gastric or medical problem in the horse. And you're going to get that exam and you're going to ask that vet to either fix the physical problems or give you a clean bill of health so you can address the other solutions. What might those be? Well, first thing we have to look at, obviously, is saddle fit, because whether you've tightened the girth too much, um, over-tightened it or not, whether the horse has developed this um, condition over time or acutely, um, we have to look at saddle fit. You have to look at saddle fit regularly anyway, because horses change their body shape a lot every year. So saddle fit in some ways is very simple. In other ways, I get it that it can be overwhelming. Um, if you understand the anatomy of the horse's body and back, his, his you know, shoulder blades, the withers, the, the back, the coupling, the loins, all that, 
Um, and if you understand how saddles are made and the trees and how they work, it, it's really not rocket science to determine whether or not your horse's saddle fits. But particularly for people that are new to horses or maybe only have experience with a very limited number of horses, saddle fit can be quite complicated. And so it's a good idea to consider getting some professional help, either a professional saddle fitter or because those are few and far between, uh, particularly in some parts of the country, or maybe have a trainer um, look at your saddle fit and, and give you um, some advice on it. But it's obviously something we have to look at. If the, if the saddle is causing the horse discomfort every single time you put it on him, it's unlikely you're going to be able to train your way out of a cinchy problem. Now, there's a few things that might help you discern um, straight up cinchy behavior simply from the tightening of the girth from a saddle fit problem. And one is, how does the horse perform and move under saddle? So I might have a horse, and this is something Annie has done, as I've been trying to improve her saddle fit, I, I tend to focus more on how she moves under saddle when I'm riding her with the saddle on than how she acts when I put the saddle on. Because the cinchy behavior that she has developed is resentment over time from having such a tight girth. And so she tends to do it every time I saddle her. She even did it with a bareback pad when you're not tightening the girth and there's no saddle tree. So I was trying various pads and pad configurations on her. I was trying different saddle types on her. And I would focus more about how she moved underneath me. Was she relaxed? Was her, her, were her gates more fluid? Would she lower her head and stretch out her back um, without me asking her to do that? So there are certain things that help you sort of separate these behaviors. Another one, another really big clue that the horse is simply reacting to the tightening of the cinch and not discomfort from the saddle is that a horse that's just cinchy, just resentment about tightening, he will be very location-specific and context-specific in his or her reactions. In other words, when you go through the normal saddling process, you've got your horse tied up or wherever, and you groom them, and then you get the pad out, and then you get the saddle out, then you let it down on the other side, then you come up over this side, and then the horse gets cranky, right, when you go to tighten it. But if you do the exact same thing in a different context or a different location, in other words, okay, let's say then I went out on the trail and I stopped about 30 minutes into the ride to, to, fix, to pick up something off the ground and I go to tighten the cinch before I get back on, and there's no reaction at all from the horse. Or I tighten the girth 10 minutes after I'm warming the horse up in the arena, and there's no reaction from the horse. Or I just totally change up the process, um, in other words, the context 
in which I tighten the girth. I do something else first. I, When the horse thinks I'm going to tighten the girth, I go do something else instead. If you change up the context and or the location, you don't get the reaction. Um, that tends to point towards a horse that's just developed resentment over the tightening of the cinch. So one more thing to consider in your equipment, however, is the type of girth or cinch that you use on that horse. I found in particular with Annie, when I switched her to a fully elastic cinch, which by the way, are really hard to find. But if you think about the way girths are made for jumping horses to be fully elastic on both sides of the horse, I found this fabulous Western cinch that is uh, fully elastic on both sides. And that expansion seems to have really helped her a lot along with um, the other things that I've been doing with her training wise. And speaking of training, if we've um, ruled out physical causes for this behavior and we have addressed saddle fit and the equipment to make sure everything is as good for the horse as it can be, the next solution available to us is to simply retrain the behavior. And you have to keep in mind that even once the pain source is eliminated in the case of a horse that is having a physical problem, um, and even though the equipment issue is fixed and the horse is no longer having any discomfort, the sensory behavior is very likely to remain because it's ingrained, it's habitual, and because it has to do with the emotionality of the horse. In other words, if, if something happened in the horse's past that scared him or caused him discomfort, he remembers that when you go to, to tighten him. And so it's his expression of that um, memory that he's, he's acting out on. So the behavior is likely to remain and it can become habitual behavior really fast. So there are a lot of different approaches we're going to take in the training to reprogram the cinchy horse. And the first thing that I want to do is totally change up the process that I use for saddling. As I mentioned just a minute ago, location and context. I want to give the horse a whole new kind of experience so that muscle memory that exists in the habit is not as present. So that might mean using a different location. That might mean changing the order that you do things. But at the very least, it's going to mean really slowing down. Don't get in a hurry. Spend time brushing and massaging the girth area. Spend time desensitizing there. If I have a horse that's so cinchy that when you even touch or brush the girth area of the horse, he is reactive, then long before I think about getting the saddle out and tightening the girth on that horse, I'm going to do a lot of desensitizing in the girth area just to my touch and then later to the actual um, cinch, or maybe I would use a surcingle in that case. I've got a lot of resources on my website about the desensitizing process and particularly as it pertains to cinchy horses. So it's going to be a worthwhile investment there to just spend some time away from saddling to desensitize the horse to touch. But if you have a horse that's only 
reactive at that moment you go to tighten the girth, then I want you to just really slow down what you do with that horse. Consider saddling him in an actual different physical location, however that might look for you at your facility. Consider you know, walking him between every step, turning him right, turning him left. So change the process somehow so the horse isn't anticipating what's going to happen next. Also, we know from scientific experiments that replacement training is more effective on horses than trying to punish behaviors. And so replacement training means simply replacing one behavior with another. So in the case of a horse, when the horse acted one way, you would immediately cause the horse to do something else. And so within a few repetitions, as soon as the horse does the first behavior, he begins thinking about the second behavior because he knows that's what's coming next. Horses are so responsive to knowing what comes next. And when you do things in a pattern and a routine, they learn it very quickly. So if, for instance, you know, a a simple way to think about this is if I had a horse, I was riding in the arena and he was pulling towards the gate. If every time I felt the horse pull towards the gate, I turned him immediately in the opposite direction then it wouldn't be long before as soon as he started to pull for the gate, he would prepare to turn in the opposite direction. So he would do the opposite thing, which is to pick his shoulders up and go the other way. So that's replacing one behavior with another. In the case of sentiness, what I want to do is, first of all, look for and wait for and slow down for the smallest reaction. So let's say I'm getting ready to to saddle that cinchy horse. I've already got the saddle on his back. And I, I know it's going to be coming any second now. I might just first reach under um, the girth of the horse and touch his, uh, touch his chest under there, rub my hands over the girth area, see if I get a reaction. And um, if... if If I don't, I'll praise the horse, say, good girl, step back, kind of wait. Then I might pull the strap up, uh, the girth up, and then release it, pull it up and release it. So really slowing down what I'm doing. Um, If uh, in the case of Annie, one of the things that she would do is um, she sort of bows up her back and starts backing up, just stepping back kind of slowly. So what I've done in replacement training on that particular behavior. I slow down the approach to that. I untire, I move her away from the hitching rail even before I start to tighten the girth. That's kind of giving her a little bit different location and a little bit different process. And then I go really slowly on the tightening, but at any time she starts to bow up and step back, I just simply step back and send her forward in a circle around me. And so we'll just go a gentle circle uh, right at the walk, and then I'll turn it around and go to the, uh, sorry, I start with a left turn, then I go to a right turn, and then I ask her to stop. So then I start my process over again. I slowly go to tighten the cinch. If at any time she bows up and starts going back, I send her forward. And so 
what happens in replacement training is you just replace one behavior with the other. And so she now knows that every time she does this, I'm going to make her do that. And so before she even gets very far back now, she just relaxes and walks forward. So that's what replacement training is. And you just have to be creative and think about what 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 makes the most sense in terms of the opposite behavior? What is the outcome I want the most? And um, you try to, every time the horse does this, then you do that. So replacement training is very effective in all manner of uh, getting rid of undesirable behavior in horses, in particular, sensory behavior. Now, in the training routine of dealing with a horse that's sensory, I'm going to use both positive and negative reinforcement. And that is not, by the way, reward and punishment. And positive reinforcement means adding something to the equation. So every time my horse um, accepts the touch of the cinch, every time the horse relaxes instead of tenses, um, every time the horse maybe thinks about backing up but doesn't, I'm going to praise her. I'm going to back away, just, you know, give her a little uh, break for a moment. And negative reinforcement um, simply refers to a release of pressure. So that's another really important tool for training. So if I'm slowing down the process of tightening the cinch, before I even pick the strap up against the horse, I'm just going to reach down with my hand and rub it along the cinch to see if the horse is reactive to that. And I put my hand down there and rub a little bit and nothing happens. So I release the pressure and step back. That's a negative reinforcer. I'm, I'm taking away the pressure. And so if I take away pressure, every time the horse gives the response I want, I'm reinforcing that response. So I'm going to use a combination of negative and positive reinforcement. Now, there may come some time for scolding on the horse. I wouldn't be so strong as to say punishment. By the way, punishment wouldn't work in this instant anyway because this is emotionality in the horse and punishment just creates more emotionality. In other words, if you think that horse is, let's say, biting or kicking because he's just a mean bad horse and you're going to whip him for that, um, if in reality he's being reactive because of pain or some other emotion that he's feeling, um, your punishment just makes him more emotional, not less. So it's not going to really achieve the result that you want. However, it is really important, particularly in horses, any horses, it's important to reinforce boundaries on. And any horses, it's important to... Um, maintain a basic decorum to, to require that the horse follow certain rules of behavior that we generally refer to as ground manners. So we always reinforce boundaries and we always reinforce ground manners, particularly in trained horses that know better. And so if you, for instance, it's really common for sentry horses, probably one of the most common behaviors is that horse, the moment you go to tighten the cinch or the girth, that horse whips around with his nose like it's going to bite you. Um, sometimes they're actually barring their teeth or opening their teeth. Sometimes it's just more of a gesture. But that is inappropriate 
an unacceptable behavior in any circumstance. And so you can't just ignore it and pretend it doesn't happen. And you can't not reinforce your own boundaries. And so if that horse moves into me at any time, I'm going to pick my hand up, maybe scold it, maybe poke it in the nose. So it's not turning that weapon on me. And that's as much for my own safety as it is for the training of the horse. And again, this is not a reflection of the horse's temperament or training. It does not make him a bad horse that he's become senchy. In many instances, he is perhaps a victim. But I still have to reinforce boundaries because this is basic safety issues. And also, you have to consider that a trained horse that knows these rules of behavior also knows he's breaking the rules. So you can't just totally ignore the behavior, but you're never going to punish or scold your way out of this behavior. So we're going to kind of use a combination of all of these tools. If you have a horse that is particularly prone towards biting or whipping around with his mouth, you might want to consider the use of a boundary stick. It's a short heavy stick. We use them a lot for horses with boundary issues. And what you would just do in this instance is hold that stick up in your left hand with the end of it pointed towards the horse. It's only two feet long. And so you point it towards his nose so that if he whips back with his nose, he hits the stick and not you. And the the stick is white, so it's easy for the horse to see. So he comes to understand the boundaries a little bit better, and it's, it's a really good idea if you're saddling a horse that wants to bite when you cinch him, that you either have your elbow up or a stick up to create a barrier between you and the horse. Because even if he accidentally runs into you with his mouth, it could really hurt. And of course, you know, a bite would be horrible. So consider your own safety there. And Um, consider checking out that boundary stick on my website. And, you know, along the same lines, obviously, if a horse is really reactive when saddling and this has become bordering on dangerous behavior like biting or kicking or pulling back, it's really important that an experienced horse person handles that horse, saddles that horse, Like I said before, often cinchy behavior develops in otherwise really gentle, well-trained horses that beginner riders might be riding, but it may not be appropriate for that beginner to actually be the one to saddle that horse. So consider having a more experienced handler either supervise or do the saddling for that horse until the the, uh, issues get, get retrained. So over time, And with consistency, taking small steps, using all these tools to your advantage, um, slowing down, changing the context, changing the location, tightening in very small increments, walking the horse forward between every time you tighten them, consider how you're going to use replacement training. You're going to bring all of these things to bear to help resolve this issue. You may have to go all the way back to simply desensitizing the girth area like we would on an untrained horse. But over time and with consistency and daily work on this, working on very small steps, you can resolve this behavior. And there's a lot that we can do to help these horses and make them happier. 
You know, negative reactions to saddling and girth tightening are really common, but when you understand more about the behaviors and their causes, and when you develop a little empathy for the horse, it's not such a big thing to tackle. But it's not always easy to know how to react when a horse is volatile, what to do in that moment, let alone how to train a horse out of the habitual behaviors. But hopefully you found some help here, some good tips for the next time you encounter a horse with girthing issues. And now it's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. Each month, we pick a few unique questions from our listeners and answer them on the air. If you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hey, please go to my Facebook page, Julie Goodnight Horsemanship, or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. We keep all your questions in a queue, so even if I've not answered the question you submitted yet, I hope to get to it soon, or maybe I'll turn your question into the main topic for a future podcast, which I've been known to do. So stay tuned. The first question comes from Kelly via email, and she says, when riding in the indoor arena, my horse laid down intending to roll. The signs were there that he was thinking about it. Lowering his head to the ground, I'm thinking I did not properly address the issue at those first signs. I kept him walking as I was leading him with my granddaughter on him. Then we stopped for just a second and he laid down. I was able to get her off in time, so she was fine. Once she was clear, I gave the reins a tug and he got up. Then I took him and lunged him for a bit and then got back on myself to continue riding. My question is, what is the correct response to avoid the situation in the first place? And if it does happen, what is the correct response at that point? Thanks, and I enjoy your podcasts and use the things you talk about in my riding. I should note we are also fairly new to horses and have only had our own horses a little over a year. Good question, Kelly. And actually, I have to say, I think you did a good job of handling this situation, particularly for someone who may not have a lot of experience and for whom this was the first time something like that happened. So the main thing you have to keep in mind is when a horse displays a random behavior like that, when he's being ridden or handled, you just want to make sure that he doesn't benefit from it because if he benefits from it, he's going to do it again. In other words, if when that horse laid down, you had removed the rider from his back and then quit on him and put him away, it wouldn't be hard for the horse to figure out that if he laid down, he benefited from that. Laying down is something that is, in most instances, fairly predictable. There are certain things that lead up to it, and there are certain behaviors that the horse will display first. The things that lead up to it are things like, you know, if it just maybe sprinkled a few drops of rain and the horse's back got wet and then the sun came out and the back dried and it got itchy, he would start thinking about laying down and scratching his back. If a horse has been in an accommodation that is not conducive to rolling and scratching his back, remember that rolling is an important behavior for the horse. It is, um, it is integral to his health and well-being, and it is something that he takes great pleasure from. And there's only certain types of 
ground that are suitable for or enjoyable for rolling. And so if you have a horse that has been kept in a, an accommodation that has no good rolling surface, like muddy or hard or, you know, rocky or unlevel, and he doesn't have a place to roll, and then all of a sudden you walk him into an arena and it's this beautiful, soft, groomed, clean sand that was like made for rolling, he may just sort of, his his urge may overcome his training and he just sort of, without even giving it much thought, starts looking for a place to roll. So we learn over time that there are certain situations that could lead to this. If you have a horse that you're crossing a body of water on and first he stops and acts like he's going to drink and you think, oh, well, this is nice. My horse needs something to drink. But then all of a sudden he's pawing the water and you think, oh, this is cute. Uh, my horse likes to play in the water. Next thing you know, you're underwater because he just was laying down to roll in the water. So we learn um, in time and experience that there are certain situations where this is more likely to occur. You already know a little bit about that now. And then secondly, there are certain behaviors a horse almost always displays before he lays down. Um, there's a searching behavior, as you just indicated. So they're searching for just the right spot to lay down. Um, also, the horse will generally paw the dirt before he lays down. So he'll give a few you know, strokes with his front foot, uh, moving that dirt around to make sure it's suitable uh, for laying down in. And this could happen over a fairly long period of time. So it's rarely going to be a huge surprise if you're paying attention to your horse and if you have knowledge of what that means. Now, a horse may even um, start to lay down. He may put his head down and kind of buckle his knees. And it's still not too late at that point to start hooping and hollering and kicking and um, get that horse to, to not lay down and keep moving. Second of all, when the horse does go to lay down, it's not, you know, it's not a great thing, but it's not a huge crisis either because horses tend to lay down in slow motion and riders should always be trained that at any time the horse begins to fall or lay down, you immediately take your feet out of the stirrups as long as you slip your feet out of the stirrups, all you got to do is step off the horse. So it's not generally a huge crisis, um, but it is a very, very, very bad habit for the horse to develop. Fortunately, it doesn't occur to very many horses. And generally, if it does occur to a horse, it's when the horse is fairly young and new to riding and it gets handled uh, appropriately the first time with a great deal of hoopla and scolding uh, and putting the horse back to work. So if the horse does it early on in his riding career, but then gets highly scolded for it, it's unlikely he'll ever do it again. So the greatest thing we have to fear is from a horse that lays down sort of on a random whim or on a, on a random urge and then somehow benefits from it. He gets to rest or he gets out of work or the rider gets off him and doesn't get back on. So you actually did the right things. You first and foremost addressed the safety of your granddaughter, got her out of the way. And then you immediately probably shushed the horse and, and uh, you know waved your arms and clucked at him, kicked some dirt at him, whatever. You wanna immediately start scolding the horse. 
Now, and, you know, stomping your feet, waving your arms, clucking, you know, like, get going, get going. No, you can't lay down. And then you want to immediately put that horse to work. So if the horse knows by your reaction that you think that was a really bad thing to do, that's the best outcome. So I want to start screaming and stomping my feet, waving my arms and clapping and kicking dirt and and then really, you know, scold that horse, hiss and spit at him. And when he jumps up to his feet, you know, back him up a little bit and let him know that that was really, really wrong and bad. And, and chances are he'll never do it again. But we have some horses that tend to be a little bit more chronic at that stuff, but they almost always give warning before they lay down. So we just have to watch those horses and we have to be prepared to scold them and get them moving forward as soon as possible. One reason why this can turn into a really bad problem is there's an old saying in the training of horses that forward motion is the basis of all training. And if and when you have a horse that learns to just lay down and ignore you, there's not a lot you can do about it. If he learns that laying down gets him out of working, then it's not very likely, but you can end up with a horse that sort of uses that as a tactic. And um, that's rare and few and far between. Most horses that lay down are acting on a comfort urge. Um, They just want to scratch their back or get in the water. So it shouldn't be that hard to fix. All right. Our next question comes from Christine. And she says, I've used your training techniques to successfully keep horses from pulling for grass while I'm standing with them, leading them or riding. Good job, Christine. However, I now lease a horse at a barn that doesn't have any pasture turnout, but I can hand walk her to a place to graze. My question is, what behavior or body language can I use to help my horse understand the difference between when it's actually acceptable to graze at the end of the lead rope versus when it's not. Thanks for the podcast and all the materials on your website. The information you've shared has been extremely helpful to me over the years. Well, thank you, Christine. It's good to know when um, our resources help people with their horses. And the question that you ask about allowing your horse to eat is one that comes up a lot. And it really shouldn't be too hard to figure out how to do this. So the main thing that you need to do is just make it obvious to the horse that you are allowing him to eat and um, that it's okay. And so, you know, there's a lot of different ways that the horse might discern this. One thing to consider is simply the context and location. If you always take your horse to a particular area to graze, the horse comes to learn that that's what the activity is going to be. And that doesn't mean the horse gets to graze as soon as you get there and dive for the grass, but it comes to know that this is the place where you're going to allow that. I would still, you know, be careful that the horse isn't pulling you towards that area. Be careful that the horse isn't starting the grazing time herself. But When it comes to making it clear to the horse that you're allowing it, the body language that you're going to display, I I would suggest, you know, maybe if if, this will be easier to do if nobody else is around, 
But I would just suggest sort of talking it through with your horse so that it it is a natural movement for you to make. So in other words, and and in this process, you want to make your body language consistent with what your words are telling the horse. And so as we're approaching the area to graze, but you're still leading the horse and expecting the horse to act properly as if it were being led, you would have a very upright and intentional body posture. You would be holding the lead rope in the manner and the uh, length that you normally do when you're expecting the horse to lead properly. And you would sort of march intentionally to where you were going. And then you might give a cue to stop and say, whoa. And then I might turn around and face the horse and say, okay, girl, are you ready to eat now? And I would intentionally loosen out the lead rope and I would intentionally gesture towards the ground, say, okay, there's your grass, go ahead and eat it now. So by using your words, I think it'll help you be more clear on your body language. But if you think about it for the horse's discernment, the way you comport your body language, the way you intentionally march, the way you hold the lead rope versus stopping, relaxing, stepping back, loosening the rope way out, actually telling uh, the horse with your words and gesturing to the grass. Yeah, it's okay, girl, go ahead and eat. And then you kind of step back and look away from the horse, you know, maybe leave the rope played all the way out. Um, And then when you're ready to stop the grazing, you just kind of do the opposite. Okay, girl, going to shorten up the lead rope now. Come on, that's all. Come on, pick your head up. Okay, now let's go. And we're walking intentionally again. So as long as you're consistent in how you handle this, it won't be hard. And just be careful that you are the one that allows her to begin eating and you are the one that tells her when her time is up and you reinforce any uh, problems that are developing in between. And you'll do this just fine. I guarantee it. Our third and final question comes from Chris. And Chris says, how should you address a horse that evades moving forward by backing up? For example, when trying to cross a stream or road, even when there is no rain contact. Good question, Chris. This is what we call evasionary backing, and it is a very disconcerting habit for a horse to develop. And this speaks to what I just mentioned a few minutes ago, which is that forward motion is the basis of all training. Without forward motion, a horse cannot be trained. And some horses, thankfully not very many, some horses will learn that backing up is something that riders have a difficulty dealing with. And they will learn that backing up gets them out of doing something they don't want to do, just like you describe crossing water or stepping on a tarp or whatever. And so what happens then is a horse will learn that backing up benefits him. And you'll develop the situation in a horse where he does fine um, until the moment comes where he doesn't want to do something, like cross something or go somewhere. And so he just sort of starts flying backwards. It's frightening to the rider. 
Um, the riders almost always do the wrong thing, which is to pull back on the reins. But Chris, you mentioned that your horse does this even when there's no rein contact because he's learned it as an evasionary tactic. Now, this is a big reason why I am not an advocate of using the backup to punish a horse. A lot of trainers do, not a lot, but some. And if the horse acts in a way they deem inappropriate, the trainer will slam that horse to a stop and then sort of just jerk it backwards in punishment. And you might hear people refer to this as, uh, you know, like, yeah, when he did that, I backed it all the way across the arena. And um, that to me is an indication that you were using uh, a backup as punishment. And what'll happen then, um, that, by the way, that is effective for some horses because horses hate to back up. And so for many horses, if they, if they relate or associate um, the undesirable behavior with having to back up, uh, many horses will not do the, the undesirable behavior because they don't want to have to back up. But some horses will learn that whenever they don't want to do something, they should just back up. And that's when evasionary backing develops. So one way to avoid this very bad behavior is by not using the backup as punishment. If your horse is already an evasionary backer, first and foremost, it's imperative that the rider is not pulling back on the reins. And that seems like a no-brainer, but let me tell you that almost all riders will be doing that because instinctively what riders do, when a horse is doing something the rider doesn't like or when the rider feels out of control, riders instinctively pull back on both reins, which of course tells the horse to back up more. So we have to make sure I want to, anytime I'm riding a horse that starts evasionary backing, I immediately shove both my hands straight towards the ears of the horse. I straighten my arms out completely um, so that the horse knows in no uncertain terms that I am asking it to go forward. Then I start clucking and kicking if none of that causes a reaction, the way you stop the horse from backing up is by disengaging the hindquarters with the one rein stop. So if it sounds like your horse already has a, a pretty ingrained habit of this, um, and if your horse is doing this and you're already certain you're not using any rein contact, then I would just go straight towards the disengagement and that's how you rule out backing up and uh, or stop the horse from backing. And then, you know, obviously you need to go back and address the obedience problems that your horse has that makes him believe that his compliance is optional. And it, so, in other words, if the horse is um, doing most of what you ask him to do, but not all of what you ask him to do, he apparently thinks compliance is optional. So we have to go back to, you know, look at some more fundamental aspects of the horse's training to try to understand, you know, how, how have we gotten here? What has he gotten away with that, that's led him to believe this? Have I been avoiding things um, instead of confronting him? Um, something, something in this horse's background. 
has um, made him develop these kinds of tactics. So just remember that one rain stop will will stop evasionary backing and uh, put you back in control. So good luck. Well, that's all the questions we have time for today. We still have a few excellent questions in the lineup that I couldn't get to this time, but I'll keep plugging away in my What the Haste segment each month. I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most, so if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight or email podcast at juliegoodnight.com. Next month on my podcast, we'll cover another horsemanship topic to expand your knowledge and help make your horse life better. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all searchable content. Or you can roll in a horsemanship short course on building confidence or join me at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum for you and your horse, plus personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your upper level skills. I hope you found some helpful information here to make your horse life better. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers, just like you and me, can find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com slash academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride.